Welcome to Choosing Leadership and this is another episode of the Investor's Lens series with your host Somit Gupta. This series will look at leadership from the point of view of an investor or a VC. In each episode of this series we will explore what traits, behaviors or red flags investors see in their founders that they work with and how founders evolve over time as they grow and become better leaders. I am here to help the best leaders get better and to create organizations where people get to do the work of their lives. Together let us do our bit to create a world where all of us can show up as leaders. With that let us get started. Tom is a business angel and a very early stage VC investor focused on founding teams based in Spain from any sector. He is also a co-founder of Startup Labs Spain and Malta which is an accelerator program focused on growth stage startups. In the interview, Tom humbly opens up about his own limitations as a leader and the important balance between operations, execution and leadership. He adds that execution is everything and as leaders, you have to look for people who can execute. He shares how 80% of any human's brain pattern is subconscious and the huge role that plays in decision making. Hi Tom, welcome to the Choosing Leadership podcast. Hi Sumit, thank you very much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to have you here with us today. And for anybody who is listening, can you start by sharing a little bit of who you are and what do you do? Yeah, so I'm Tom Horsey. I'm English by nationality. Ended up living in Southern Europe. So I lived between Spain and Malta. And I was a serial, I guess I still am to a certain extent, a serial entrepreneur. I set up in my lifetime 16 different companies of which just over half have been what, would, what you would term as, as successful. As successful. Then of the rest, some were more and some were less. But uh, what I did as a as part of my sort of evolution as a professional, though, was get involved because I had multiple companies. Obviously, I got involved in investing in the projects of third parties, and initially as a business angel. First of all, as part time amateur business angel, then as a full time. Um, professional business angel. And these days we actually have an investment fund where we invest in early stage startups from, again, from Southern Europe, so the, the Spain, Malta and Portugal, although almost all the activity is in Spain. And so that's where we generate most of our deals. So we currently have in the entire portfolio, including as the business angel and the, and, and this sort of fund, uh, we've invested in 87 different startups. Thank you. Thank you, Tom, for sharing sharing that. That's quite an impressive evolution. I love the word that you used. And I'm also quite jealous because you are in Spain. I'm based in Amsterdam. So you have all this sun. <laughs> well, Spain and Portugal. So I, sorry, Spain and Malta. So I end up with, uh, yeah, both places have a decent amount. Of yeah. But tell me this, right? So 16 different companies and then there are a lot of business skills, marketing, sales, product. And on the other spectrum, there are leadership skills, right? Dealing with people, being bold, dealing with uncertainty, dealing with pressure. How do you see this balance? And especially when you invest, when you work with other founders, with the, what role do you think that leadership plays in the success or like maybe the not success of founders? Yeah, that's a really good point. There's, I think, so as an entrepreneur, I, three, so of the 16 companies I've mentioned, three of them reach the sort of the same ceiling of mm. growth which was more or less 50 people. 
I think one ended up maybe the maximum we hit was 55, another one the maximum was 45, another one more or less the same, 45. So, so, so about 50 people. And I've often analyzed that internally as why this actually happened. And I think probably the reason that happened is because myself as a leader, I was too focused on the other side, the, the marketing, mm-hmm. the operations side of things, and too, uh, and not focused enough on the sort of the, the leadership and, and the people management as a leader. Um, so in the startups that we invest in, we invest at quite early stages. And it's interesting how as a, a startup sort of develops over time, the, particularly the CEO, but really the entire founding team. They have to be focused from operations. So initially you've got to be very good at sales and marketing, as you say, technology, if you're building product. And then, and as time progresses, and as you start building up your team, you have to be more focused on leadership. Now, whether that's leadership, the entire team as a CEO or leadership, people within your, your general responsibilities, whether that's marketing, sales, product. So mm, it's a very important part of scaling up, not quite so important in the earlier stages, but, but obviously if you, if you ever want to scale up, you need to bring on the type of team member that can help you scale and that they're gonna, they're not gonna want to join you because they tend to be high at the very least. They have a very interesting career path ahead of them because they tend to be high quality people. To bring them on board, you have to show leadership skills. So, you know, you have to operate mm-hmm. and there's a sort of, and you have to have the leadership side of things. But I think as time develops in a company, the leadership becomes more important. The operation, the operation side of things becomes less. Sorry, that was a very long winded yeah. answer to the question. No, but I think thank you for that like personal reflection also and, and sharing that perspective. I think 50, maybe 50 to 100 people is that place where you really start to go beyond execution. Um, because I often say that like most founders become successful, not because they are good leaders, but because they are good executors. And the same skills of being a good executor can then come in their way because they can only do so much by their own like willpower or strength. Exactly. And then you have to create leaders around you and not just followers around you. Go to the next level. So thank you for Adding that, having said that, what skills do you look for in, in founders when you start to invest them in? Or are there also any red flags which maybe make your decision a negative? Yeah, well, you're looking for people, as you say, that, that can execute because execution is everything. Whether that's execution in leadership or execution in, in marketing skills, execution is certainly every, everything. So you're really looking for people with ambition. Because obviously, it, particularly in the startup world, this is all about scaling up. It's all about, in theory, if possible, exponential growth, sustained exponential growth. And that, that's very difficult. It's very easy to move from 100 to 300 euros invoicing. It's very easy to move from 5,000 to 15,000 euros invoicing. It's quite difficult to move from 1 million to 3 million euros invoicing, from 3 million to 9 and 9 to 27, because it, it takes the company through completely different stages. So you look for that execution ability, you look for that ambition. And what you really look for, or what we really look for, is people that have a capacity to make things happen. And I know that sounds very simple, but, but there are people in this world who make things happen. 
and there are people that, that don't make so many things happen. And with exactly the same information, exactly the same contacts, exactly the same training, one person will make something happen, the other person won't. Well, we're looking for, we're really looking for those people. And then in terms of red flags, well, obviously it's the, it's the other side to that coin, people that don't make things happen, people that aren't so good at executing people that don't have so much ambition. You also want people that you can, particularly in early stage, as investors, you really, I had this conversation twice actually yesterday, you're really looking at creating your win. Mm. People talk a lot about the statistics and how you invest and the distribution of results. And all of that's complete because there's only a small proportion of the startups you invest in that will actually become winners. But you have a lot of influence on that as an early stage investor. That the more you support it, it's very odd, but the more companies get supported by an investor, the more likely those companies are to be successful. So you need people that you can work with. You need people, I think as an investor, if you're complementary to a founding team, then mm. the same way as if you've got a, if you've got a CTO and, or sorry, you've got a CTO and a CEO, you, you maybe want to bring on a CEO. The same thing happens with an investor. If you've got an investor, if you're a company that, that needs a lot of support in marketing because you're a very consumer-focused company, then it might it helps if you bring in, in, in investors that are focused on um, or that have experience in, in that type of marketing. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I think you're very spot on when you say execution is everything because no matter how smart your plans or strategies are, in the end, everything comes to execution. But I want to go a little bit deeper on the making things happen, right? So how do you assess that? Is it about resilience? Is it about not giving up? Is it about willpower? How do you assess that? Or is it only something which you feel, right? Which it's more like an intuition which you get. Well, that's, that's a really difficult question to answer because obviously a large part of it is subjective. Mm -hmm. It's gut feeling, learning by doing, lots of experience of and at the end of the day, 80% of a person's brain power is the subconscious. And the subconscious is very difficult to know actually what's going on down there. But, but a lot of, of that sort of gut feeling, I'm sure, is related to your subconscious working things that you're not aware of into a, a, a decision, right? a conclusion, sleeping on it, or however we want to, to describe it. However, some of it is objective. Um, there are certain indicators of that. One is obviously the specific traction that, that a startup might have. If you have, you see their traction, you see their growth rate, you see what type of clients they have, you see how the milestones are achieving in the product, the milestones are achieving building up the team. There, there are obviously indicators from historic, uh, the, the, the track record, should we say, of the founders within the team that can support that. There's also indicators within the track record of the people that make up the team from the past. It, there, there are a lot of investors, and I think I, I agree with this. There are a lot of investors that look, that say to be in, what they really look for in an entrepreneur is what they did as a child. I mean, they're looking at what they're doing now, but they're also looking at what was your first business? You find people that have done everything. For, yesterday I came across, I was with one who, who charged his grandparents to sleep at his parents' house when he was five years old. That, that shows that you've got somewhere in your DNA, you've got an entrepreneurial spirit. I, I, I did lots of things for, to, to make money when I was, to make money when I was younger. 
whether that was with your parents or your neighbors, yeah. people doing lemon juice stands, whatever. Yeah. So some, something of that nature certainly helps. Their sort of background, their family background, where their family comes from, what they've done during their lives. I don't know that there are indicators. Some of them are more, more black and white. Some of them yeah. are more gray, but there are indicators that, that, you know, can, can help you decipher. Absolutely. I think those childhood indicators are some of those traits which you learn without even understanding how you learn them. And like some, many times those are the most valuable skills that you have because you have it in your body, you have it in your skin. Yeah, yeah. Particularly in a world of things like generative AI, <laughs> large language modeling, yeah. all the rest of this, there's a large part of our, of the skill set um, of humans that is going to change. It already is, even down to things like brainstorming. If you're not, yeah, chat GPT can do brainstorming better than a human can. If you're mega creative and then you take what chat GPT gives you and you work on and you come up with even more weird and wonderful connecting the dots, yeah, uh, that sort of subconscious that I was talking about to a certain extent, then those are the skills that people are going to need in the future, I guess, in, in, at least in sort of service industries. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's where leadership becomes more important, especially going forward, because AI is already like automating a lot of the things. It will continue to aut automate many more things that we do as human beings right now. But that means that those subconscious skills that you matter, right, which is 80% of what we do, will suddenly become so much more important. And like, this reminds me of something which Richard Branson says that even though I have a lot of data, I make my decisions by intuition. And many times people can say this will work or this will not work without having the data or without having a logical reasoning for that. And I think that is the intuition that we that you were talking about. Well, that's uh, that a, you, that's you, the subconscious, yeah. definitely. I, I see. I, I used to deal in um, the to consumer uh, uh, marketing. Uh, I, 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 you just knew. You know, yeah. it was it was absolutely ridiculous. You test other things because you never quite trust your judgment. So you test five things, but you knew which one was going to work. Before, yeah. before you even launch it. Yeah. So uh, this is this is about investing, right? But when once you start on the journey, the journey itself is quite quite a roller coaster for any founder, for any entrepreneur. What is your take in success and failure? I think failure is something which we have studied, we have learned from. There is this notion of failing fast and learning from failure. But I think success is still something which can trip people off more than the failure. So I want to hear your experience and the, views the, on both. The only failure is not trying it in the first place. You know, if it, it, the, the no, it, it's like sales, right? The no you have before you even start. So if, if you don't, if you don't try, then you've then, then you've failed. You and it goes back to a bit of what I was saying earlier of people that making things happen. Hmm. It's also a question of actually trying to make things happen. It's amazing. The more work you do, the more opportunities arise. Yeah, it, it, certainly opportunities don't arise if you're sitting in your in your on your sofa watching Netflix, which we all do. So you have to mm, relax the brain also. But the more networking you do, the more people you meet. Going back to failure, so the only failure is not trying. In terms of success, depending on who were to analyze that, they probably come up with a far higher percentage than I do. Those of us that are entrepreneurs tend to be very very, I can't think of the word in English, very exigent is very demanding of our own performance. And so what other people would term a success, sometimes we don't. And I think that's something that 
that needs to be worked on, on an individual level. But I remember one time I went to a psychologist and, and she, he looked really tired and I said, hey, I am tired because I go to the swimming pool every day at, lunch, at lunchtime today. I was absolutely exhausted. And I always do a, a, a kilometer. I always do 40 lengths and really had to push myself really hard to do the 40 kilometers. So why do you have to do 40 lengths? So, because that's the target I set myself every day. I have to do at least 40 lengths. So if you're really tired, couldn't you've done 30? But we tend to be very demanding on ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And I think what you mentioned about continuing to move on, I think it's so relevant, as you said, for both to sales. Because if you don't give up, you can't fail. If you don't accept any no as a personal rejection, you can continue to move on. And then it's only about a matter of time and continuously learning from that and adapting to what you're noticing. Definitely. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Can you share now, right after 16 companies, as you shared, what is it that drives you to invest? What is the vision that you have as you invest and give it back to the community? Yeah, okay. That's also a very good question. I think it's related to what I just said. We naturally push ourselves as our ambition, our goals are always pushed ahead of where we are. Some of it is giving back. It's not really giving back. What it is just trying to support. I think when I was, I still am an entrepreneur, but when I was a hundred percent entrepreneur, what gave me most satisfaction was a Christmas dinner and you'd look around all the people and you'd know their partners, you'd know their children. And you think, Jesus, we, I've created something from nothing that's supporting all of these people and all of their families. And that was something that, that gave me real satisfaction. And I think generally as entrepreneurs, we try to solve problems. So we're trying to make the world a better place. Some of us will be more philosophical about it, some of us less, but all of us really are doing the same thing. And obviously, if you invest in other projects, there are 87 projects out there that, that to a greater or lesser extent, I've helped support. If we go back to the employment level, an average of 10 people minimum, that's a thousand in that's a thousand jobs that you've helped create. If you go to solutions, that's 87 solutions that are out there that wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily be out there if you hadn't been that support. You really, it's a way of really supporting society and making the world a better place, I guess, to, to live in. Now, at the same time, as a secondary byproduct of that, well, in theory, we, you make money. That's the if, because if you don't make, it's not because that's the end game. It's because if you don't make money, then you're not creating something sustainable. So going back to failure, then it certainly hasn't been a success because it hasn't been able to be sustainable as a business. It's, it's, but it's a byproduct, really. The, the sort of the central product is is you know solving problems. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Tom, for sharing that. I think that's so meaningful. The impact on the lives of others. And this is also related to what we were talking about earlier, dealing with failure or rejection, because many times it, it gets difficult when we make it about ourselves. And one very actionable way to actually deal with that is to make it about other people and say, what is my role here? What am I contributing? And that obviously will give you a better perspective and leave you motivated, not because of willpower, but because there are people depending on you. And so that's a wonderful perspective. Oh, no, I think, I, I think if you don't have that sort of, a greater purpose than, than it's a difficult, it's a very difficult job being an entrepreneur. It's a very difficult job being a leader. And when you place a leader and an entrepreneur, it's an even more difficult job. If you don't have that sort of sense of greater purpose, 
it's it, it's difficult to keep going. I remember reading an article once about billionaires' children, and one billionaire was most billionaires don't leave very much to their children, mm. and they were asking one of the parents why this was the case, and he goes, "Because I need my son to do things in life, and if it's nobody gets out of bed on a cold, dark morning when they're tired." if they don't have a necessity to do it. And that's completely correct. You need that sort of push that helps you go through that the more difficult times. Yeah, sure. So thank you. Thank you, Tom, for sharing everything that you have shared with us today. Uh, before we wrap it up, what is the best way for anybody who is listening to reach out to you, to connect with you, to find out more about you? Well, you can, you can see my name on screen. So Tom Horsey, there are a few of us about, but there, there are no, no other ones that are so good looking. So you can find me on, no, I'm joking, joking. You can find me on, on LinkedIn relatively easily. I tend to accept all LinkedIn requests and I'm very happy, try to collaborate as best I can. Very happy to support people in whatever way I can. Time Thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Tom. And I love that humor that you added. I think that's also such a huge component of leadership tends to take the pressure away and make it easy, not just for yourself, but also for the people around you. So thank you for being who you are. And I want to wish you all the best for everything that lies ahead for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, it was a pleasure. That's it for this episode of Choosing Leadership with Sumit Gupta. I choose leadership every time I record this podcast. And I invite you to do the same. I invite you to design a life of joy, meaning pride and satisfaction. This is what I do most naturally to lovingly and gently provoke you, to help you see your own light, to help you see what you are already capable of. If you like the sound of it, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs ups, ratings and reviews mean a lot to me and my team. I want to thank everyone who contributed to making this show a reality. And thank you for listening. Always remember that you are enough, you are loved and you matter. This is Sumit and until next time, keep choosing leadership.